Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the uh, milestone 30th edition of the Leader Post Rider Rumblings podcast. We've hit the big 3-0, Dirty 30. Anybody remember the great Jim Young? Joel is too young to remember Young. Yeah. Joel Gasson is our special guest today, Three Down Nation uh, contributor and general... Doer of many things. Doer of many things. <laughs> very prescient pundit and, sure. a, and a friend. So thank you for being with us today, Joel. Oh, no problem. The bribe came through just in time, so we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. He, he played Here Comes the Bribe, <laughs> and I delivered. So, oh, no, these jokes. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're already a minute in, and not even a minute in, and these jokes are already bombing. So It wouldn't be a time with Rob Van Stone if there wasn't some kind of bad pun. No, and uh, it is. this is what you're tuning in for, folks, um, or listening to. Uh, we've got myriad topics to discuss. It's, it's odd. The off-season would generally seem to be a downtime. In terms of football, but it not seems this like year. not this year. It seems like there's as many things, if not more, to discuss uh, during the uh, during the off season. During the season, we can just say, "Well, the offense is boring and the defense is playing well," and we can do the same well, show yeah, every you, week. You and I joked about that, I think, in the press box after every game this year. It's like, well, just take last week's column, yeah. change a few words, change the score, change the teams, and print it again. Yeah, <laughs> because change, that's pretty much what the season was. You right? change the name of who had the pick six and go on. And yeah. <laughs> uh and uh after a while it seemed to be very formulaic, but after the season suddenly these there's even more issues that seem to pop up. Mm-hmm. And uh so let's tackle some of them. Uh tackle. Tackle. Um there's it is a defensively oriented team we're discussing here. Uh and that's part of the problem. They need a quarterback. Joel, what's your solution? Oof. Five, four, three, <laughs> two. Well, I think long term. Tino Sinceri? Absolutely, yes. Bring him back. Sorry. And Seth Deggy and Colt Brennan Colt and Brennan. whoever else, right? I liked Brett Smith, by the way. He was a good guy. I like. He he, fifth, he, he stand up, stand up guy. Not really great CFL quarterback. He threw 15 but. touchdown passes, getting 38% of the snaps. Yeah. You extrapolate that, those totals. He was in an offense it's... where they, compared to last year's, actually like let them do something. Yeah. Right, like Brett Smith, but like Brett been... Smith with that offense last year would have done even less than what Zach Kolaros and Brandon Bridge were able to accomplish. I think he would have done more. Mm, I don't think so. He, he actually was a better quarterback. I mean, just fifteen touchdown passes and thirty-eight percent of the snaps. So you're talking if you extrapolate that over the entire season, that's rivaling the Rough Riders single season touchdown pass record. It's in the thirties. That's Ken Austin, Darian Durant territory. Yeah, and 30% is a pretty small sample size. I don't, know, I, I don't know if it really, if you can really say if he got all the snaps, if it would have worked out to that level of... De- well, know. it would have been better than the 11 that they threw this past season. No, and probably. So, yeah. anyway, I don't know how we got into this Brett Smith tag. I don't know, we were just talking about potential quarterbacks. And I think almost really the solution comes down to maybe not even the quarterbacks, but who's going to be running this franchise going forward, mm-hmm. right? Because Chris Jones is heading into the final year of his contract again. So what's going to happen with him? Right, because if he now this can go both ways. We don't know if the team wants him beyond this year. We don't know if he wants to be here beyond this year. Right? It could be a completely realistic expectation that maybe he's at the point where he thinks he might have enough of a resume to get a pretty decent job down south. So maybe he's taking this as his final kick of the can. So then he probably goes all in on someone and tries to win. If there's a contract extension and both sides agree to it, then I think it's okay. You find. The, the general feeling seems to be you've written it. I've seen it around other places too. A guy like Jonathan Jennings who you take a flyer on and maybe he turns out, maybe he doesn't, but at least he has some experience and you groom the next guy. You keep throwing jello at the wall until something sticks because that's pretty much all you can do in the CFL when you're trying to find a quarterback, really. 
it's almost pretty much all you can do sometimes in terms of player recruitment period with all these one-year contracts mm -hmm. it's almost like you're the way it's evolving and this year maybe maybe somewhat of an aberration because of the uh, CBA being up and, and players being reluctant to sign beyond yeah I think, the expiration I think, I think of that's deal. playing a big part of it especially some of the bigger guys like obviously Trevor Harris Bo Levi Mitchell Mike Riley like they all plan this and they're very smart to do so, especially a guy like Mike Riley, who he knows his bread and butter is here now. And he said he's not signing until that CBA is signed because he wants to maximize his dollars, which is incredibly smart. Trevor Harris, you could someone will probably pay him. Bo Levi Mitchell, we know what's going on there. He's either in the NFL or he's back in Calgary next year. We all know that contract is already in Huff's drawer. Yep. It'll just be signed and tweaked depending on how the CBA goes. But... It's it's almost like drafting a fantasy a new fantasy team every mm -hmm. year. At least the, that's what the CFL roster building process will be like in 2019. You're just you're sitting down without picking names numbers out of a hat yeah. and yeah. and signing free agents and 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 redoing a, a huge portion of your team. Well, there's and, some was it like well over 300 free agents this year. Yeah, and strangely enough, if you look at the rider list, is actually the smallest in the league at like 27 or something. Yeah, like I wrote a piece for Three Down Nation going over all of the players and whether they should stay or should they go and all that sort of thing. And I thought, oh, that was a long list. And then I saw the full list come out and I saw Calgary's. I was like, holy crap! Yeah, so it was like the a, 40s. It was like it was basically a game day roster of free agents. Now, obviously, some other guys like Nick Lewis and some names on there don't matter, but it was still like, whew. So yeah, I, it's the, the combination of things between the one-year contracts, which the players wanted. And, you know, I agree with that, but the league is having issues with that now in terms of player retention and building some kind of marketing within your market of your players, where if they're only signing one-year deals, how is a team supposed to build any sort of cachet with the community, with your players? So there's, you know, you see the player side of it because they want to, it's funny, if you look at the CFL, they've wanted shorter contracts while every other league in the world is asking yeah. for longer contracts. But so it's just, it's tough right now. And it is leading to probably the most interesting offseason in CFL history which makes up for, frankly, a pretty lackluster regular season. It really does. It, it, uh, I watched this, I, the CFL this past season. It was generally underwhelmed by the mm -hmm. entire product. The, the Grey Cup, there's been a lot of talk about the Grey Cup and the field conditions and all that. It wasn't a very good Grey Cup, but they've had ordinary Grey Cup games before in good field conditions. Yeah. You look at 20, the 2010 Grey yeah. Cup in Edmonton, Montreal beat the Riders 21-18. It was one of the most boring games ever played. Yeah, I, I And that was on the same field. So you get those, but the season mm -hmm. as a whole was humdrum. Yeah, I look at the. What I've, had, the I've had this conversation with friends this year, and some other people, and some of my compadres at Three Donation. I'd be like, so, point out how many games do you really remember this season? For me, the only one that really stands out is that one where Hamilton blew it in BC. Yeah, like that was the only game where you had like those classic CFL moments and boneheaded coach decisions, which we can get into and how that affected what's going on in Hamilton now. And like there just there was it's just kind of a blase kind of year. I don't know if everyone is just kind of waiting to see what happens this offseason, but it, it feels like, in a sense, that this league needs this needs a, this league needs a shot in the arm. Something needs to juice it up again and get the games going again because it Thank feels it, just, it doesn't feel the same. Like the games are fine. There's not they're not like bad they're games okay. per se. Like they're but, fun to watch at times, but there's nothing super memorable and amazing like you're used to seeing out of the CFL. I think the league has lost its niche, and its niche once upon a time used to be a virtual monopoly on exciting, wide-open football. Mm -hmm. Now look at what's happening in the National Football League. Look at American college football and some of the shootouts you get. Yeah, uh, Texas A&M and, and uh, you know, it's, the other day. It, You're getting NBA scores in, yeah. in, 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 in NCAA football. And if you're talking about passing prowess and phenomenal numbers, you're talking about 
Jared Goff, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about Drew Brees. Granted, there's more teams, and there's also dud games aplenty. Oh, yeah, as absolutely. On Sunday was full of dud NFL games. Well, the whole but day was basically useless until was the Sunday nighter. Pretty early, except for Denver won. But the <laughs> – sorry about your Steelers, Joel. Yeah, we don't but, need to get into that. But uh, you, the CFL – the NFL is doing what the CFL used to do or mm-hmm. should be doing. Yeah. You look at the Patrick Mahomeses of the world and, and Jared Goff and – that's the that's the Madden type football that's being played. You see some of it in the Canadian Football League, but I think you see predominantly more exciting aerial football being played in the states, and that's got to be a concern because where's your niche if you're the mm-hmm. Canadian Football League? If the NFL, I don't think it's a much of a debate to say that it it's it's arguably on par with the CFL in terms of excitement, and that's it might be a charitable assessment to the CFL, but yeah. the NFL is playing exciting aerial football right now and. That used to be the domain of the Canadian Football League. And if it, that's it, not it, your domain, it, it, what do you have as a niche? Yeah, that's fair. But I, I think it can work in both leagues. And I think if the NFL continues on this path, and we've the NFL kind of goes through ebbs and flows, I think eventually it's going to get so past happy that the defenses are going to adjust. Mm-hmm. And then the good, uh, good offensive coordinators will realize that and start running the football again. You know, Some friends of mine have talked about that, where it feels like that day will come again eventually. Might be down the road, yeah. But I think that might happen. But regardless, if it might be beneficial to the CFL if the NFL is still playing that style, because then if you're one of those people who only watches the NFL, and all of a sudden you watch a CFL game and it's the same, where they're both throwing up and down the field, maybe you're more likely to watch. Because right now, yeah, you, you can't compare the products in terms of football quality, because there is a difference in style. It it almost feels like. There's like an NF- NHLification going on with the yes. CFL right now where it's, okay, we don't have the offensive horses we once did. The game is slowing down. The game is bogging down. Let's just muck it out on defense and win, you know, 2 nothing, 1-2-1, one, one, you know? I was talking about this uh, on Sunday while watching the uh, a lot of NFL at the Four Seasons Sports Palace. And, uh, and it seems like the coaches all have the same playbook now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you notice that, and, not, and I'm not saying to be critical of the CFL, you notice that in the NFL as well, but you look around the CFL and I don't see teams with a with a real, a lot of teams with an identity offensively. Paul Lapolice tries a few things yep. uh, in, in Winnipeg, but by and large, it's the hitch screen, it's the bubble screen, it's it, the defenses are, it's tough to go over the top on some of these defenses now. You've got most of your international players playing on defense, which which makes it tougher to to go over them. But I just it, to me, it doesn't matter what CFL team you watch; it's almost the same playbook. If you're watching an NHL game, it's the same game. No matter it, it can be Columbus and Nashville, it can be Carolina and Pittsburgh. It's the same style of game, and that concerns me. Where's the oh Peter Lisk is going to throw the ball fifty times a game, or the Rough Riders are going to yeah. do this with Ronnie and George? Teams don't have identities anymore, and that. That to me is well. I guess the Riders did. They had an identity of no offense. Yeah, but. they were an exception. I think you could, if they stayed healthy, you could probably say Edmonton was one of those teams with Mike Riley. Like they were clearly airing it out and trying to play that kind of style. And but yeah, they, and I and a lot of it is to do. I think there's a little bit of a there's a quarterback thing going on in this league right now, where there's two guys and one guy kind of in the middle of that and everyone else mm-hmm. essentially. So again, everything comes back to quarterbacks, and it's just I don't know. Maybe, maybe in a weird about way, everyone's talking about the threat of the Alliance of American Football 
is going to have on the CFL. And it's a legitimate one. There's definitely concerns there, but maybe there's a positive to be taken out of this too, where it's a little more increased competition. Or maybe it's, okay, we knew we weren't really a competition with the NFL, but now we're in competition with these guys. So let's make sure that our product's better than theirs. And Sad, sometimes that can, that can make you uh, make you better. You can fear the competition or you can you can respond to it and make yourselves better and reinvent yourselves a little and, and assess everything. And that's what you have to do. I don't think the Alliance of American Football is going to affect the elite players in the no. CFL. Well, we saw, we saw in that quarterback draft they had last week or whatever yeah, Marquise, it was. Marquise Williams. <laughs> There's a bunch of retreads that we've all seen before. So, And I, I, I get that from that league's perspective to start. You want to market your, you want to capture people's imaginations down there. So then you need to give them names that they know. If you pull some kid out of middle Utah state that no one's ever heard of to be the starting quarterback for one of your franchises, no one's going to care. Right. So there needs to be a little bit of that college cachet. So, okay. The quarterbacks in this league are probably fine. You're still going to find young quarterbacks. It's the other positions. And it's that middle ground. Yeah, of the international we've already started players. to see a little bit. There's been a few Canadians even signed down there. So is there a middle Utah state? No, that's okay. just uh that's just so a, well, that's, I was about ready to order a hat. <laughs> that's just a made-up school that when I worked at CJME, uh, <laughs> Warren Woods liked to use as his example for NCAA schools. Now, there might be a middle of the Utah State. I'm not 100% sure. Like, I can't confirm 100%. And an A&M as well. <laughs> yeah. But if they are, they are not. They're probably in, like, Division 12 football <laughs> and basketball. So <laughs> we, We've broached the topic of quarterbacks. You've talked about that, that tier at the top of the league. Yeah. Can the Rough Riders land a quarterback? who is in that one, two, three category, or are they destined as I think they are to end up mining that middle ground again, as they did last year? I think they're stuck in the middle. I, you know, there's no shot at getting Boley by Mitchell. Depends on if you feel Trevor Harris is in that spot or not. To me, he's like maybe a notch below those two guys at this point, and not because of his playoff record, because I don't believe in quarterback win-loss record as a stat. I mean, he lost to, to Saskatchewan last year in the East semifinal, but played a whale of a football game. Threw for game. 457 yeah. yards. And people are saying, well, gee. Yeah, he's a joke, but no. He Don't played, give up the punt return. Yeah, he played a great game. <laughs> he played a great game. So Stop, tackle Marcus Thickbent. Yeah, but yeah. It, by all accounts, it sounds like him and Ottawa are really keen on getting something done there. So I don't know if he's leaving Ottawa. So that really leaves you with Mike Riley. And a lot of people say, oh, the Chris Jones and Steve McAdoo connection, but I'm like, does he really like those guys? Is that a positive or a negative? I can't assess whether... Because if you look at Mike Riley's numbers after McAdoo left Edmonton, they skyrocketed. Now, he won a great cup with these guys, so maybe that's consideration, but I I don't know if it's really in the cards. Now, maybe if Chris Jones has decided this is his last year in the CFL, he throws a one-year stupid deal at him, sees if it works and goes all in and tries to win a great cup. If you're trying to go, if he gets a two or three year extension, it's a little bit of wiggle room. Then, then I think you go with a Jonathan Jennings and maybe it's David Watford. Maybe it's some other kid out of college that you try to groom into something that could be here for the next 10 years. And I look at the, I look at the pursuit of, uh, or the anticipated pursuit of Mike Riley. And if, if the riders are going to pay Mike Riley, what market value is going to command, that's going to be at least $600,000. Yeah. That's probably low. Now, if the cap goes up to like. It's probably not, but if it goes up to like seven, eight million, then that's not then a problem. You're, you're, but, yeah, but you're, then you're talking a seven hundred thousand yeah. dollar Mike Riley. Yeah. But let's say you spend a lot of money on Mike Riley, and mm-hmm. Chris Jones being your head coach, you know that the defense is going to require is going to uh, be a matter that's a priority. And you've got Willie Jefferson and Samuel Aguavin. If they're not in the NFL. If they're not in the NFL. You've got some defensive free agents to spend. And regardless, they're going to spend money on the defense. So yeah. If you're spending a ton of money on, on your quarterback, you know Chris Jones is going to make sure he's got a good defense. Again, we're talking about that middle ground. 
Riley money is spent. Defense money is spent. How much remains yep. to put the amount of the kind of talent around Riley that would allow him to be Mike Riley? Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of where they got caught this year. If you look at 2017, okay, Kevin Glenn and Brennan Bridge in theory aren't better than Zach Caleros, but they got a lot more out of them because they were essentially paying two quarterbacks the comparison of one starting salary, mm -hmm. and that gave them a ton of money to spread around the ball on offense. And I, I get the feeling that I don't, unless unless it is a one-year scenario where he wants to go all in and win a Grey Cup on his way or the CFL, which I have no like, feelings about this is what it, he's going to do. It's just an option on the table for him if he wants, right? Then I don't think Chris Jones wants to spend money on a quarterback. I think he wants to build a roster, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you look, and I wrote columns on this in the past when I made the case for maybe Darian Durant shouldn't be back because they need to spend money elsewhere to rebuild this franchise. And they're kind of at that point again a little bit. And Chris Jones talked several times about how the quarterback should fit into their salary structure. It came up a lot with the mm -hmm. Darian Durant situation. It came up a lot in 2017 when they talked about, I believe uh, uh, Chris Jones told Ian Hamilton that they were spending... Uh, $500,000 on their quarterbacks, period. Mm -hmm. And what? how does that liberate the rest of your spending? Oh, it's, it's it's, huge. it was huge. We saw it in 2017 with the stack of receivers they had where they, frankly, bailed out Brandon Bridge a lot and maybe made him look better than he was. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes a huge difference. And we go in this year, and the Riders are spending, what, probably about six six fifty between their two quarterbacks, at least. And then they had to cut all the receivers, except Naaman Roosevelt. And they went with a bunch of kids who, yeah, some of them show potential. But we've seen that before. We've seen guys come in, have a decent camp, have a decent first year, and then fall off the map. So I'm not, I'm not really getting too excited about all these guys just yet. Because it happens a lot in this league where one guy has a really good year. And then it just, for some reason, it doesn't pan out. Or you see flashes of it, but it doesn't really sustain itself. So I think you need that mix of receivers who know what they're doing in this league and new guys. So if, say, in theory, your next year, just for to pick names out of a hat, you're going with Jonathan Jennings and David Watford as your quarterbacks. Because, I don't know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. The writers believe in David Watford, in theory, in this hypothetical situation. So you're paying them both probably. Jonathan Jennings is not going to get much on the market this year. David Watford's still on his minimum deal. So you're paying your quarterbacks maybe 300000 Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're just crazy math. So then that frees up another like $300,000 to spend on the rest of your defense and offense, plus whatever cap increase you get this year of the CBA. So then maybe you have a Naaman Roosevelt. You go after, maybe you take a flyer on a Manny Arsenault to see if he still's got something there, because he's probably done in BC. You've got Jordan Williams Lambert who can play. Yeah, so there's your young guy. Maybe you keep Shaq Evans around, give him another, see if he progresses. Another year of zero And then you find lines. some other, you know. You find some other, you maybe, you know, you find, you find some guys that are around this league a little bit. But look at all these free yeah. agents. Oh, yeah. You know? There's going to be, you're going to have the pick of a litter this year. And so I think, I think that's the way to go. And you've seen a lot in the NFL too right now with that sort of philosophy, not in the same degree where they go out and search for these quarterbacks because it's a very different world down there where you draft franchise quarterbacks. And now the, now the rule is basically if you find your franchise quarterback out of the draft and you're paying him his rookie minimum now, now you go all in to try to win a championship. You're, you saw it in Philly last year. You're seeing it in, with the Rams right now. You're seeing it with the Chicago Bears a little bit. Those people feel they're about a year away. And so you have this cheap quarterback that you're not spending in the NFL $30 million on. So you go out and you get Khalil Mack. You go out and get these guys and make their team so good around him that it, may, it elevates him and leads your team to a championship. And 
there's there's just so many variables at play in trying to build this team. Yeah, yeah. Fewer than other places. Mm-hmm. If you look around with with the free agency, the other the other factor is going to be the timing of the negotiated CBA mm-hmm. with respect to the the uh, free agency deadline. What's your feeling on this? This year, like the CBA is uh, the, the it's the elephant in the room right now. Yeah, like February fifteenth, I think is going to be a very dull day. And I I can't see them getting it done before then because no, not a th- there's neither side really has a lot of leverage in February. No, no one uh, does. No, none of these in any industry get done before or after the deadline. So it could be absolutely ridiculous in February, especially if everybody's waiting on Mike Riley. Yeah. And whether you get Mike Riley just, uh, dictates a lot of your other spending. If there's no CBA in February, March, April, are we sitting around just waiting for them to make their decision before everybody else makes their decision? Yeah. And there's just all sorts of limbo going into training camp. If they don't, if get, you're, if you're, you've got to get this deal done by mid-February. Yeah, and I've thought from about a practical that, perspective. I thought about that scenario too, where there's so many free agents on the market right now, and how many of them are waiting for the CBA. If you're some guy in the middle. If you know you, what you're going to get. Yeah, if you know if you're, if you're, if you're a $60,000 yeah. player, you know you're a $60,000 player. So if player. you're some guy in the middle, why not take your minimal raise, sign a one-year deal, try to cash in on the CBA next year? Because it's going to be such a glut, it's going to be such a crush to try and fill out these rosters. That, And I think that's was smart enough part like Marcus Thigpen. He saw the writing on the wall and said, I could wait this out and maybe get an extra five grand now, or just sign my deal now, maybe have a good year and get more next year under this new CBA. Because if, unless yeah, unless you're Mike Riley, Bo, Bo Levi Mitchell, Willie Jefferson, these really high end guys, if you're kind of in the middle or on the lower end, you might almost be smarter to sign now, and take your chances and gamble on yourself. What makes me wonder too, Joel, is Marvin Miller used to say this a lot. Was with the with the Major League Baseball Players Association, uh, the the owners advocated make everybody a free agent every year, and this this was when there was no cap, mind you, but. Marvin Miller would say, no, 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 no. You want supply and demand. You want there to be a lot of teams pursuing a finite amount of players. So guess what? Toby Hara could get rich via free agency. Yeah. Um, when you've got this many free agents, there's no, there's not really supply and demand. There's a lot of, el- there's elite players, but there's mm-hmm. so many elite players. Again, it's almost like, it's like your fantasy draft. You know, you're going to get somebody good. Uh, but there's the supply and demand isn't there. It's, it's, it's like, if I need a, if I need an impactful linebacker, well, there's, there's actually quite a few of them out there. Mm-hmm. If I, if I need an impactful receiver, there's a ton of receivers. Yeah. But where's the supply and demand? Is anybody going to be able to really break the, you know, break the bank when there's a lot of players who are comparable looking for money as well? No. And then that's entirely fair. I think, I think from the players' side, this feels like this is their shot to finally mm-hmm. to finally get something out of this because we we've seen them roll over time and time again, and even the last time around, they did a little bit too. And I think we we're all expecting a little more of those CBA negotiations after that big TSN deal, right? And it never really materialized. And some sense I'm getting a little bit is this might be if there's any CBA negotiations in this league history that causes some cancellation of some games, this might be the one. Yeah. Because I, I feel like the sides get a little more entrenched than we've ever seen before. And I know a lot of people say, oh, it's the CFL. Eventually, these guys, you know, the, the, the tensions will rise and the risks will come because, you know, the Americans making their low money need to work and they need the money. And they have they're, no built-in attachment yeah, to this union. Yeah, and they're not, they're not Brent Labatt making his, you know, money. And he's probably got a little bit of a nest egg now and he's fine, right? And I get that. But I, it's for the first time also, 
their executive isn't exclusively basically Canadian offensive lineman. Yep. There's a few other voices on that board for a change. And I feel like we might be heading toward maybe at least missing some preseason games. And, and it, that's what should have happened in 2014. Oh, absolutely. The union just, they capitulated so quickly. And that I led, remember Ricky Foley being like furious. About yeah. That. The Riders vote as a team voted against that. They were the only yeah. team to vote against that deal. And the, the union just bailed out so quickly that you would think that would down the road, five years down the road, steal their resolve to, to be more uh, militant might be a strong word, but certainly more unified and, and more vigilant about making sure they get something. Yeah. I mean, it was embarrassing last time the, the league came forward and they said, well, we, this is the best we can do. And not long after a year after that, the riders are firing a GM and a coach for two and a half years remaining on their contracts. And oh yeah, we have no problem paying that off. Yeah. And the Toronto Argonauts certainly will lose money on their operations this year. But how much are they paying Mark Tressman not to coach? So these teams have yeah. money. Mm-hmm. Some they just choose not to spend it on the players. You look at the size of some of the front offices in the Canadian Football League, and not just in Saskatchewan or in some of the centers that are they're wealthy, but they spend a lot of money on on people who aren't playing the game. That money should go to the players. There's got to be a redistribution of wealth within the CFL because it's it's if if you were to do a list of the 20th high 20 highest paid uh employees of Canadian Football League teams how many of them would be players not many and that's sad you'd get you'd get like maybe like a Mike Riley and a Bolivar Mitchell yeah. maybe you're odd there might be an offensive lineman in there somewhere Canadian but, offensive lineman but, which which sorry like we love those guys but they're not the ones people no, are paying to watch but it's, it's automatic that even a bad head coach is going to get two hundred fifty thousand dollars now yeah and so your your average gm is going to get two hundred fifty thousand dollars now your coordinator is going to get well into the hundreds mm-hmm. and uh but the players who they're paying to see if you're paying a head coach four or five four or five thousand four or five hundred thousand dollars well, the word was Your players, wasn't Mark Tressman making like six hundred, yeah, or something allegedly. Well, if that's if that's what Mark Tressman's making, then Ricky Ray should be making about one point five, mm-hmm. based upon the scale that's established in other leagues. If you look at the high paid coaches, highly paid coaches, even in Toronto with Mike Babcock's making big money for a head coach, mm-hmm. but you look around the National Hockey League, there's tons of players making more than Mike Babcock, yeah, and there's tons of players in the National Football League making more than Bill Belichick. So why do the coaches and coach GMs make the highest salaries? In the Canadian Football League, it's the players. Mm-hmm. They're putting themselves on the line all the time. They're the product. They're taking the risks. They need to get the the bulk of the salaries. And I I like this football operations cap because it at least puts a damper on some of the yeah. excesses that are happening. But now I think now that the football operations cap in and of itself can't be the the check on teams paying a lot of money to coaches, etc. They've got to realize the players are the product, and the players got to push for a big cap increase and have some sort of resolve and some sort of unity that will enable them to, to get more than an incremental increase like they did last time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely what has to happen. I think it's time for that to happen. And it's funny, I think the conversation in sports over the last number of years has changed in that regard. I remember, you know, during the old NHL lockouts, you know, the one every two years that they have or whatever, there was always the conversation that, you know, we're all, I remember myself being a fan at the time, you're always on the side of the owners because you believed in this, this, and this. And now as kind of we've learned more about professional sports and the industry's evolved a little bit, you're seeing, I think, a shift more away from fan support toward the owners, towards the players, is the grand scheme of things. Because they're like, okay, these guys have short careers. They should maximize mm-hmm. every single penny that they should earn. 
That's especially true in the CFL where they're making a fraction that they do in others in other professional sports. There's a lot of cases where the people sitting in the stands are making more money than the people they're watching. Yeah. And again, that excludes the quarterbacks and, and some of the other marquee I, performers. I mean, well, but cons- by and large, the prices of other sports leagues, that's true as well. When you look, have like billionaires buying suites at NBA games and whatnot too, right? So it's, you, that's not a CFL exclusive. If, you, if you're the fan, you can relate to the CFL player. And I think they're, yeah. they're a bit more of a sympathetic character in, in this production compared to... I remember the first NHL lockout. There were players arriving at uh, negotiating sessions at these fancy sports cars. And then they're trying to pass themselves off as trade unionists. Yeah. It was comical. And it's just marginal players that, that look very affluent. And, they're try- and then they're trying to make a case for being disadvantaged. Like, give me a break. But in the CFL, I think the, the cause is, is obviously one that a lot of people are going to sympathize with. And mm-hmm. this is the time, like you said, for the CFL Players Association to really make some inroads. Because who knows what's, what, the, what the environment's going to be next time a contract comes up. Who knows what the TSN money is going to be. Yeah. And, and that's, that and that's could change everything. 2021, so that'll probably be about the middle of this deal. So they'll have a few years after to decide what they do there. And, I, you know, along those lines, maybe a little off topic, but... I've been along of a champion that I think the league would do itself a service by not being exclusively on TSN. I think they need to be on another broadcaster as well to provide a little bit of legitimacy in that regard to allow, because we know in today's media landscape, especially in broadcasting, whether you own broadcast rights or not affects a lot of your coverage. And so I think the CFL, if it's especially if they're going to go to 10 teams and have five games a week, I think it would help if they had a game or two on someone else. Whether that's Sportsnet, and I, my dark horse is still global, because I don't think Shaw is spending the kind of money they have been on the CFL just for fun the yeah. last number of years. Yeah. I feel like they've been playing the long game a little bit in that regard. So, you know, what I think that, that might help. That will help both broadcasters push each other and get better, and that maybe TSN's value drops a little bit, but maybe they increase it overall by going across more than just one network. And yeah. that's not to take away anything TSN's done for this league. They've been vital. But at some point, you need to make that business decision for the league. And uh, you wonder if, if the economics are there for somebody else to to do that. You wonder how much TSN is, how much extra TSN is paying for the privilege of being the only broadcaster. Yeah. And is there, are they paying a premium to have that status? Suddenly, if if they're not the voice, does that affect the overall revenue? How much of a bidding war could there realistically be? If global is in there or another network, it wouldn't be as it wouldn't be like CBS and NFL, no, NBC it's, it's and not, Fox. It's not on the same scale in terms, but... in terms of the degree of interest, not the degree, of, not the amount of money, but the degree of interest. If 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 TSN TSN is going to be the major player, regardless, yeah. everybody else is sort of hovering around the periphery. Uh, what I wonder is, are they going to get that mon- that kind of money again? I don't know. You know, this, that, the way the, the league TSN, is trying to, sorry. we saw like the Grey Cup this year. Granted, it was an uninspiring game between two kind of uninspiring teams outside of their markets. The ratings are down twenty three percent this year for Grey Cup. Yeah, like I mean, if it continues, and we continue to see a kind of flat line like it has been ratings for the last while, even if it is only on TSN in the next deal, I don't know if TSN comes back with the same money. Now it might be more because of inflation, but in terms of the overall revenue picture to the league. It might be the same, or maybe even less. And what is TSN's financial situation? Yeah, uh, they—I don't think when this current deal was being negotiated, they anticipated losing hockey. What no. effect has that had on the the wherewithal that they have 
to make a huge bid. Well, given the amount Rodgers paid, that probably helped their bottom you line. You know, it's, uh, but th- th- there's the cachet of losing hockey. <laughs> yeah, there is. And uh, of having hockey. And that was a big deal for TSN. And obviously, they there was, there was some revenue that presumably would have counteracted the immense expense. TSN's a, TSN is a different beast now than it was last time the CFL television rights came up for negotiation. And what do they... Do they look upon the CFL as, as, as their big remaining linchpin? They should. They, but should. they haven't been. They haven't really watched SportsCenter. Yeah. TSN's gen- CFL generally relegated. And you only need, you've, you've, and I don't want to you know, sound like I'm pooping all over them, but if you watched throughout the regular season, the games are okay. But then you watch the games in the playoffs, and especially the Grey Cup, the broadcast is so much better. Oh. And you're like, if you put if they put half of that effort into every single game during the regular season. I think it would help the product immensely. It would make it look bigger. It would make it look better rather than just here's a few cameras and, you know, the same announcers every week and all that and no pregame show like ever. Yeah. And and part of the scheduling is part of that. If you have games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you can't really you know, understand finances. You don't want to run pregame shows all that time. But if you had just, if, again, this comes back to scheduling in a sense, if the CFL could ever figure it out where they had only double headers on Fridays and Saturdays, you have two pregame shows. I don't. Like, I don't understand why there aren't more pregame shows. Yeah, to that's hype their this ba- up a little that's bit. That's their baby. Yeah, and 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 to me, the one that, the thing that really bothers me. I don't want to get on a TSN rant either, but but I will. Uh, <laughs> the you watch Sports Center and off season news just gets really really buried. Yeah, on on, on Sports Center and this is TS, TSN is the network of the flagship network for the. Canadian Football League, there's been times when a Major League Soccer highlight package or something pertaining to Major League Soccer has appeared well ahead of anything pertaining to the CFL. That's an instant goodbye as soon as the Major League Soccer comes on and I haven't heard anything about the CFL. Um, I think within within the within the confines of SportsCenter, I think they need to create the uh, impression that the CFL is a big deal as yeah. opposed to automatically deferring to Leafs highlights. You well, know, that's instant always, there's, analysis, no, there's nothing you can do about that. Instant analysis of the World Junior camp, which leads to another camp, which leads to another camp, which leads to a pre-tournament game. CF, I think the CFL really needs to be bumped up within Sports Center. Yeah, I think that would help. Do you think the story out of Hamilton today should lead off on Sports Center with the news that Orlando Steinhauer has, has been moved in as the head coach and June Jones, which is staying around as offensive coordinator? I thought that part was a little interesting. That but, was interesting. But uh, is there was there... Was this the move Hamilton had to make? Well, June Jones, I think, brings a lot to that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a sideline tactician is not one of them. We referred to the BC game earlier yeah. where that was a that affected playoff placings too. The Edmonton, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't the Edmonton Eskimos in the playoffs if the, uh, if the Hamilton Tiger Cats don't blow that one? Possibly. I would have and, to go back and, and look into uh, the math. But. I mean, that was a huge decision that affected yeah. a lot of people and a lot of teams. And But what's June Jones's? area of expertise it's the offense oh, there's, just let him worry about it yeah. don't don't let have him deciding whether to kick field goals late in the game yeah clearly i think he was in over his head a little bit in terms of the head coaching duties during the middle of a football game he there was some weird things that got away from him especially in there was in the playoff game where he called the timeout with no time left on the clock in the end of the half rather than I mean, that, that, was, it, that it, was a mistake <laughs> yeah that was a mistake because you ran they ran the sneak the play before didn't get it you should call the timeout instantly you have time for two plays now if you pass, instead, he basically put all his eggs in one basket. For them, it worked out, and they got the touchdown. It didn't matter in the grand scheme of things because they did nothing in the second half. But it's just little things like that that have added up. 
and the fact that you have this guy waiting in the wings and you got and, keep and him. has interest from around the league you have to you have to roll the dice with Orlando at this point I think because okay there's no guarantees that he's going to be a good head coach but you would rather he fail with you than go succeed somewhere else exactly and there's been so many people knocking in the door and he had left yeah and come back so this was your chance if you don't make him the head coach now forget it and there certainly wasn't a compelling case to adhere to the status quo in Hamilton with regard to the head coach but I think you have to look at that offense and the development of Jeremiah Mazzoli and the potential of that offense if he has a receiving core that's healthy mm -hmm. for an entire season. I don't think you want to lose what June Jones can can bring to your organization, but I think you want to find somebody else who's on the sidelines deciding what to do in in, in key situations because that's where June Jones really failed. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 there's no doubt that the guy can coach offense. That offense is good, and they, they probably might have beaten Ottawa they might have won that division had Brandon Banks not get hurt. That was how big he was to that offense and everything they did. So, yeah, I, I think... And, it's, and they'd already lost Jalen yeah. Saunders. They were, just... they were the Calgary of the West. They just didn't have Bo Levi Mitchell as their quarterback. And so, yeah, like that offense is good. And he can coach offense. And it speaks a lot to where I guess he's at in his career. And this the character of June Jones. There's a lot of guys. I'm sure if, if, you're, if you have the ego of some head coaches... If someone, if the team approached you and said, okay, we have this guy that's been, whatever, he's been in a consultant or whatever for the last year. We want him to be our head coach in the future. We think now is the time to make the move. Would you be willing to be downgraded to offensive coordinator? How many guys are going to say yes in that scenario? Like longtime head coaches, guys, or, you know, how many guys are going to say that? I don't think many guys are going to say that. Yeah. So they obviously had the right guy to get that scenario where we can, they can continue to build their offense and get the offense where they want it to be and still get their guy at head coach. So that will be a really interesting to watch thing to watch in Hamilton next year. Is it a long-term thing? Probably not. I mean, both their coordinators are combined like 140 years old. So I, mean... <laughs> I, I know the feeling. My knees are combined 114 years, 140 years old. So yeah, I mean, next year, that'll be interesting to watch in Hamilton and uh, for Orlando's sake, I hope it works out because he's a good guy and a good coach and he's been waiting and he deserves this shot. We, we, we've asked for questions from, from readers and uh, we got two. Just exploded. With, it's more than I get on questions. my podcast. So. Uh, one of them pertained to Rough Rider quarterbacks. <laughs> I think we've addressed that. A reader asked us uh, if you know the answer to this, great, because I don't. What if the teams that decided to put staples in their cleats at the Grey Cup, a la 1977 Grey Cup, is it still permissible for teams to use staples as a form so. of... I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I mean, this is a league that <laughs> finds players who are in the wrong colored shoes. Because uh, right at the start of that game, William Powell was wearing these bright orange cleats. And all of us in the press box are like, oh, he's going to get fined for that. Yep. And then in the second half, he came out in white cleats. So I don't know if he's just yep. trying a different thing or if he got told, take those off or we're fining you. So yeah, staples would probably... I would imagine that's a no-go. Probably... Also for like player safety reasons on top of just general uniform rules. But I feel like that would probably be a no-no. And they were improvising it, in 77. Oh, yeah, what do was, we do now? Those were different times. Uh, th that whole field fiasco comes back to just a failure on so many different levels that it's been talked about at nauseum. It, it really, <laughs> I don't even know what, what more could be said yeah. on that topic. It's, it just boggles the mind. That, and you know what I'm sick of, Joel? I'm sick of people saying, well, both teams had to play on it. Yeah. That doesn't make it right. No, it doesn't. that's your stage. Yeah, I think, yeah. I'm not. 
I don't think it it's not a reflection on either team. To me, it's a reflection on the league. It's a reflection on, I assume, the city of Edmonton that takes care of that field and does all the work there. And it's a reflection, yeah, it's a reflection on everything. And just because from what I heard, it sounded like there was basically snow sitting on that field for two weeks before they cleared it off for the Grey Cup week. And it's like, okay, yeah, the Eskimos didn't make the playoffs, and generally when that happens, you shut down, but you're hosting the most important football game in this country in two weeks. Maybe wait, maybe clear it the week, you know, before the week before, the week of the game. Give that field some time to dry out a little bit. But they didn't do that. And the league blew a marketing or an advertising opportunity too because they could have sold ads on the Zamboni. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Well, I was joking Sorry. with uh, CBC's Devin Haru was there, and I was like, Devin Haru is a great Yeah, and we, we were saying, like, well, I guess they should bust out the grippers in this one because <laughs> it's like a curling rink out there. Yeah, it's, uh, it was quite the spectacle. And you know what? It was, it's, I've watched every Grey Cup t- since 1971, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is amazing because I'm only 32. And uh, <laughs> that's the only one where I just, I found it abhorrent to keep watching. And it, just, it didn't, there was no rhyme or reason it. for it because it should have been good. last year in Ottawa. There was, and when there's like a lot of snow or rain or the something, you get it. The 96 game was a classic. You get it. But so there's a lot of snow in Ottawa the year before. That wasn't an issue really. 2013, it was like minus 30 all week. Yeah. You know, it was minus one on game day. So the, surely there would have to freeze thaw that day. Wasn't really an issue. Second quarter, I just decided I don't want to watch this anymore. This yeah. is really bugging me. So I put the radio on. And listen to the radio broadcast until the, the Williams punt return for a touchdown. And I thought, I should probably see what this looks like. And I don't really feel like I was deprived of anything for better part of half a game that I just listened to it in the radio. It sounded yeah. way more, it, it, looked the, it looked way better on radio than it did on TV, I'm guessing. So. Kind of like us. <laughs> I wore my best $25 stained whatever this is. So, yeah. Joel, we've reached that time where. If we had a closing theme, we would tease with it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we compensate you very modestly and send you on your way to the mean streets of Regina? No, I, I think we're good. We covered enough for with uh, a whole lot of nothing happening really this week, other than uh, it's very important that the writers re-sign Brian Jones. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> the lobby and the, the posters are being produced as we speak. Uh, I've, I've asked as a matter of obligation to read this. Um, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review unless it's not flattering of yours. Truly. It helps us grow the podcast. So there read, read a review, leave a review and help us grow the podcast, which is now reached 30. Joel, thanks so much. You'll reach 30 one day too. And, and you'll be, you'll feel half my age. So I'm over there. Oh, yes. Mark Melnichuk chimes in from the studio audience. The smartest uh, guy in the room. The smartest guy in the room. He can, if, if you have any emails with questions, comments, whatever, uh, they can be sent to me. My uh, address is rvanstone at postmedia.com. That's rvanstone at postmedia.com. Can I just say before we go that this was Barry McCormick's best episode Wasn't of this he podcast? great? He was phenomenal. Tom. I'm so, it's, it's about time we had a Steeler fan in this chair who made eminent good sense. <laughs> And so, and, and was young. So, Joel, thanks so much for being with us. Joel Gasson of Three Down Nation. I'm Rob of No Known Affiliation, and we'll do this again next week. Thanks for being with us, and take care. <laughs>